Please join me in reading Psalms 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he will return to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Please join me in praying. God, we just thank you for today, and um, we thank you for having this place that we can come to and worship you. And God, we just pray for Steve, and that um, it's his, or it's um, your words, not his words, um, as he brings the message today. So we love you, and we thank you for everything that um, you have done and will continue to do for us. Amen. You guys can be seated. Yeah. Ah, well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be back. Can I say that? I was gone for a little while. It was a good time for my family. We were in Florida. Uh, it was, you know, we got down to 57 degrees down there. Um, from what I heard from you, it got to like negative 70 up here at some point. So I was really, I was thinking of you guys all the time when I was down there. You know, the crazy thing about being in Florida is like, so it would get down to like 57 and like we would be out walking and people literally have parkas on. They're just like, it's the, and I have a shorts and a t-shirt, and I just, I feel like the weird guy, and everybody's staring at me, but anyways, Florida people, if you're in here, a little, little wimpy with the weather stuff, I'm not going to put you down. Well, anyways, it's good to be back. Uh, today, we are going to begin a new series in the book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to take uh, 10 Psalms over 10 weeks and kind of, kind of look over them. There's 150 different song, psalms out there, and we're going to kind of use these psalms to be the kind of the soundtrack of 2018. Uh, a a mixtape of some ways of 2018, if you know what a mixtape is. Anybody make a mixtape in their life before? Okay, kids have no idea what a mixtape is at this point, right? And so these are some of the great hits out of the book of Psalms. Uh, you probably noticed we did something a little bit different today. Uh, we, we normally have a little video between our worship set and our teaching time, but uh, we just are choosing to begin the year to elevate God's Word, and so we're going to read Scripture together to begin uh, this series in Psalms. We're going to do this for the next 10 weeks. We're going to read the Psalm that we're going to be teaching on together, uh, because here's the deal. Uh, we believe that God's Word is the truth that guides our life. Uh, we, we believe that God's word is the ultimate authority on thing. We believe that it is infallible today. It is without error. And so we want in this season to elevate and revere it because we desire that we as a congregation, as private individuals, would build a rhythm of reading God's word in our lives personally. And so we are going to do that for the next 10 weeks uh, because there's... There's some troubling trends that we can see within culture here uh, as far as God's word. There's a, there's a group called Lifeway Research. And in doing some research, they, they found that 
Only 45% of churchgoers read their Bibles more than once a week. Um, 40% of regular churchgoers read their Bibles occasionally once or twice a month. And one in five churchgoers say that they have never read their Bibles. And so because God's word is so important to us, it follows that if we aren't in it ourselves, we will be ill-equipped to deal with the issues in our lives and within this culture. And to understand the effect of biblical illiteracy in a culture, you need not look any further than one of our greatest allies in the United Kingdom. There's a group called the United Kingdom Bible Society, and they spent some time surveying children across the United Kingdom. They surveyed them on common Bible stories that we all kind of maybe grew up knowing. And this is what they found out. They found that one in three kids did not know that the nativity, the birth of Christ, was in the Bible. And 54% did not know that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. They didn't know that was in the Bible. And adults in the United Kingdom, I'm not knocking the United Kingdom. I like a lot of things about the United Kingdom, mostly their accent. I love that. But the adults within the UK didn't fare much better. 30% of adults did not know that Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, and the story of the Good Samaritan were in Scripture. And what is tragically humorous and worse than that is 27% of adults in the UK believe that Superman is or might be a story in the Bible. And one in three adults in Great Britain believe the same thing about Harry Potter that it might or is a story from the Bible. And 54% of the country of adults believe that the Hunger Games is or might be a story from God's word. And so those numbers are concerning because there is a trend that what happens in Europe ends up coming here eventually. And so we have to have some concern about biblical illiteracy within our culture. And I'm not trying to guilt us, right? We're in this together here. But these are some things that we should be concerned about. These are things that should make us ask some questions about ourselves. Because our lack of reading scripture is not just affecting what we know, but it's affecting our doctrine. Right? In the same study, it says that 67% of Americans believe that there is a place called heaven. Only 45, or I should say 45% of those 67 believe that there are multiple ways to get there, including one in five Christians believe that. More than half of evangelical Christians, 59%, believe that the Holy Spirit is a force and not an actual person, despite clear-cut teachings on the Trinity of God being three persons in one. And as an, as an American culture and as Christians, uh, in general, we hold unbiblical views of, of sin and hell and justification and salvation and Jesus and humility or humanity and the Bible itself. And there really, listen, there really is little excuse for us in the Western culture to not read our word. Nine out of every 10 homes in America have at least one Bible in them. The average Christian owns three Bibles. And we live in a day and age in which the word of God is at our fingertips because we can download free apps of the Bible on our phone to have access to them anytime they want. And so here's what's so striking in this. And this is our hearts, right? These are our hearts. This is what's striking. 90% of us who profess Christ would say this phrase. 90% of people in this survey said this, that they have a desire to please and honor Christ in all that they do. 
right? We do. We want to please and honor the Lord with all that we have. And 60% of the people in this survey were found to say that I think of biblical truths at least once a day. And so what is striking is that we have this desire to mature in our faith, right? We want to grow in our faith, but we, we don't take the time to check out the Bible ourselves to find out how we do that. So clearly, like, there's a disconnect that we have to notice here uh, because there is an increasing amount of people who are relying on other people to do the work of spiritual growth for them. Uh, we believe that spiritual growth is, in some ways, somebody else's job. It's the job of our pastor of our churches to grow us spiritually, the small group leaders that we have, the leader of our songs. And listen, it's just not true. It's just not true. The church is far less a restaurant that you come and enjoy the product of somebody else's labor as it is a culinary school to teach you and train you how to make that product yourself to enjoy it. We have far too many people leaving the church in America today because they are, quote unquote, not being fed. And I might not be a popular person for saying this, and maybe you think that I'm somehow self-serving in this, but I'm not trying to be. But listen, it is not the job of the church to serve us as much as it is, it is our job to serve the church. Honestly, I stopped food, food feeding Camille when she was two. My daughter can feed herself her own food. Why do we take an infantile attitude into our own spiritual growth and spiritual maturity and eating spiritual food? We have to start engaging our hearts and our minds with the intentions of knowing the Lord personally and diving into his word because it's the only thing by which we know how to live life. And so today, it's just a challenge as we hit it into Psalms for us to get acquainted with God's story ourselves. We're not trying to guilt people. It's just we have to ask some serious questions. And so we want to begin 2018 by elevating God's word because we would desire as a collective that we would begin a rhythm of reading it in our own lives. And that rhythm can begin today. We're gonna read a psalm a week for 10 weeks. What a great rhythm in your life to develop. Read the psalm that we're reading through today the rest of the week, every day. And every psalm that we go through, I know this. I'm not a used car salesman for Jesus, but I do know the profound impact of reading God's word in our lives. The Lord delivers his promises and his goodness shines in our lives when we devote ourselves to reading God's word. So we're inviting you to join us in this journey through the book of Psalms. And so let's just kind of dig into our first psalm this week. We're going to be in Psalm 146. Psalm 146 out of 150. Psalms are some of the most loved passages in all of Scripture. We love the book of Psalms. Culture, people who don't even know Christ, don't even believe in the Lord, they love to cite Psalms. And there are few, a few different people who write some Psalms. David is the main author. David is the great Jewish king. The God, Lord says that David is a man after his own heart. David writes 75 Psalms out of the 150. 48 of them, we're not sure. Some anonymous writers of Psalms. There's, there's people like Asaph, who's in the court of David. Asaph and his family writes, I think, 11 or 12. And then you've got the, the sons of Korah. And then Solomon writes a couple. And then Moses. M many people don't know this. Moses wrote a psalm. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. And there are a few other authors as well. These scriptures are full of wisdom, and they express every human emotional possible. 
these psalms just speak towards every human emotional emotion. And most of our life experiences can be brought back to a psalm where we can find wisdom and hope within its word. The word psalm translates simply into praises. Praises. These are songs and prayers of praises to our king. And David is the presumed author of Psalm 146. There's some debate on that, but a lot of people believe that he wrote it. Regardless of who the author is, there's a lot of reflection in here that is good for us. This psalm starts out, and Morgan did a great job of reading that today. This psalm starts out today by, by saying, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. And then, and then the author says, praise the Lord, O my soul. David is saying it to himself, my soul, praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord, I will sing to him as long as I am in my being. And this psalm starts out with an exclamation. This isn't like, hey, praise the Lord, it's good. There is an exclamation point here. It's, hey, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It is to say this, it's an invitation to say, hey, wake up. Get your mind off of whatever's going on in your life. Move your brain out of its, its stinking thinking and put your eyes on the Lord. Praise him, friend. This is a wake-up call. This is what the author is doing here. There's an exclamation point to this. And look, I know that there are many of you in here who 2017 was not good to. Many of us had a rough year. Things did not go your way. There are people and circumstances that made life very difficult for you. Your expectations and others were not met somewhere along the way. Maybe you lost somebody that was really close to you, and maybe that was known, but maybe it was unexpected. Maybe your body isn't doing what you want it to do right now. I don't know all of your stories, but I know a lot of them enough to know that there's a significant amount of pain within this congregation. And we can have trouble forgiving the past, letting go of uh, the silly things that people have done to us. And listen, I know that everything does not make sense. And honestly, it probably is never going to. I don't know the whys, but here's what I do know. He is still worthy of our praise. He has not abandoned you at all. Praising the Lord, believer, brothers and sisters, it is all that we can do in our lives to get our attention off of our mess, off of ourself, and focus it on the Lord. Praising the Lord redirects our attention off of our mess in our situation, and puts it on somebody who is immensely better than all the things in the trials that we experience in life. And so here's some reality for you, for me. 2017 was the roughest year of my life. It was the hardest year of my life. And look, I'm not asking for pity. I'm not asking you to pity me because I believe this. God's purposes are perfect in my life despite my comprehension of those things but it was a hard and taxing year. I treadmilled on a lot of different things. I don't know if you're like me, where your brain just cannot let go of things and you just over and over it treadmills in your mind. And I'm telling you, those thoughts and that pain and that anxiety began to melt away the moment that I began to praise the Lord in my present for my reality. Lord, thank you for your grace. 
Thank you for your renewed mercy. Thank you for the trials that you're walking through with me. Lord, thanks for my family, my children. Thanks for my house, God. Thank you for the pain that you're using to redefine my life. My life was altered when I began to take my eyes off of myself and put it on the Lord. Do you know that there are approximately 250 commands and declarative statements within our word to praise the Lord? And there is a reason that we are to do that. Look, gratitude begets joy. Praising our king begets happiness. Gratitude pushes out all of the negative emotions of depression and hopelessness and sadness. Those emotions, every emotion, is competing for the same spot in your life. And when we prioritize gratitude in our lives, it pushes out those negative emotions. We cannot live there forever. And I think it's the, an interesting thing here is that, once again, culture is catching up to what the, God, the Word has been saying for ages. There are so many studies out that link gratitude towards mental, better mental health and a better quality of life. But is this really surprising to us since we've known that God has commanded this from the day He began? Our culture continues to reinforce the design that God has in our life. And so the Lord reminds us to praise Him. Wake up, friends. Get your minds off of whatever is causing you distress and put your eyes on the Lord and praise Him. One of the biggest hurdles that this psalm identifies in our life is that we are consumed with ourselves and our realities and not with God. Our thoughts remain internal and not external. And the biggest obstacle that this psalm recognizes as sabotaging to a life of praise is a life that trusts in men rather than God. David writes, do not trust in princes in this psalm. I think that word is awesome. I like the word prince in that. It communicates something of nobility, of grandeur, of prestige. And David writes this here, don't trust princes. He could have just said man, but he said prince. It's the only time that we find this word anywhere in Scripture. And so it's really intriguing to me. Mostly because of one reason. David himself is a prince. In Ezekiel, the Lord says, I am your God. I will be your God. And my servant David shall be your prince. And so David, King David, Prince David, is writing this to his audience, to these people, and he is hindering, in some ways, his rule. What king writes, hey, don't trust me? But David, because he loves the Lord, he knows that even trusting in him will not meet what the human heart needs in its reality. He says, don't trust princes. Don't trust me. Why? Because princes, men, women, children, all created things. And what does this psalm say about all of those created things, about princes? That they will return to the earth and their plans will cease. They have no power. Can a prince control you? Yeah, he can make you pay taxes, right? Can he save you? No. Can he deal with the busted and broken heart that you have beside, because of a, a not whole relationship with the Father? No. So what power does he really have? It's all an illusion. 
And so let's expand upon that a little bit here. When you look back on the days of your life, whether they are short, they have been, or they are long, when you look back on those days, and you look back on your most trying days in your life, were they the results of you trusting in men or you trusting in God? Now, listen, trusting in God is not an easy road, right? There are some hardships in trusting in the Lord. We are to sacrifice. There is a cost to following after the Lord. But when we seek the Lord, his fullness rests with us. We have an eternal perspective, and even death is easier to process within that hope. But if we are honest, a lot of the days of struggle in our life are based upon us trusting in created things over our creator, trusting in princes and not in God. And it has had an effect in our life. Uh, I think what, I, there's, there's just so many commonalities that I love about um, Christianity, like our faith. There's, there's commonalities that we share in our journey. I think what, one of the coolest things, and I've seen this time and time again, there's just a huge percent that the Lord does this, but when we become new in our faith, uh, the Lord in his goodness, he, he brings somebody around us. There's somebody that comes into our life that kind of helps mentor us kinda, in that early stage of our faith. It kind of helps build up our faith, mature our faith, and they love us well. I hope that you've had a brother and sister in your life that has done that for you. I, I know that many of you had. And, and because they have loved us so well, right, we begin to put them up on a pedestal because that's what we do as humans, we, we want to elevate things and create idols out of things. And, and deservedly so, they, they loved us really well. But what happens in this, and I've seen this time and time again, is, is that somewhere down the road, that person who helped you disappoints you, hurts you. And I have watched lots of people stumble in their faith, reject their faith because of that person. This is why this psalmist David writes this. People are, are going to disappoint you, right? You, if you haven't realized this yet, you're going to disappoint yourself, right? You're going to disappoint yourself. And that is why we just, we don't put our hope and our security in man, right? We as humans, we have this innate thing within us, and it's a gift from God that we want to worship things. There's a, a created thing in us that wants to worship things, but it's a blessing, but it's also a curse in a fractured cosmos. Because sin has entered the world, we will put about anything into our lives to worship those things, right? We have to worship the right thing. We have to worship the king of kings. And so, does this mean, because, look, you guys have experienced it, I am not, I'm preaching, you know that people have disappointed you, right? And here's what our desire to do in being disappointed, right? I just want to circle the wagons, right? Nobody coming in my, I'm making an island. I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm just going to keep to myself, bring my family in here. Nobody else is going to deal with me. There's a pull to do that, right? But that is not how we apply this, right? God has, has asked us still to be vulnerable with one another, to take risk in building relationships, to be in community with one another, to be in the process of forgiving one another. It just means this. We don't elevate man over our trust for God. We don't trust in men the way that we trust in God. And look, <clears throat> why? Why are we to do that? Well, if we look in this psalm, 
The psalmist says, blessed, blessed is those whose help is the Lord of, uh, the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. And why? Why are we blessed? Well, let's just, let's look in our bulletin here and look at this resume that the Lord builds for us here in this psalm. He made the heaven and the earth. That's pretty grand. He keeps our faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed, food to the hungry, sets prisoners, frees open eyes, lifts up those. This is our God. He has done these things for us. And if we have paid attention anywhere in our lives, we know this. We know the goodness of God. We know that he has done great things for us, but we forget. And then all of a sudden something happens in our life and we're like, oh, where was God in this? Where did the Lord go in all of this stuff? I'm here by myself, God. Why don't you help me? And look, I think that we, we know it. We just forget it. We are prone to wonder. We forget so much of what the Lord has done for us because we become so obsessed. We become so obsessed with our reality and our present that we forget what God has done for us in our, path, or our past. Now, we see this in Scripture time and time again. Our people... Our people, we got the Israelites. The Israelites were treated like disposable diapers in Egypt. They just were killed, murdered, abused, horrific life. God sends Moses and he rescues them out of bondage in Egypt. And he takes them out. And they're fleeing from the Egyptians and they're by the Red Sea and they're turning to Moses. Ah, the Egyptians are coming, they're going to kill us. And what does Moses do? Okay, I got this. All right. God parted the seas. Let's walk through it. Okay. <laughs> this is cool. <sighs> On the edge. Do you not think that at some point you just go, okay, God, you can do that, whatever you want, Lord. I'm following you the rest of my day. If you can part the sea, I'll do whatever you want, Lord. No, that's not what we find in the Israelites. Not two chapters later, this is what we see in the Israelites in Exodus 16. This is what the Israelites, they're in the desert, just been rescued. They say this to Moses. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this, to starve this entire assembly to death. It would, have, are you, it would have been better if we would have stayed in Egypt and be treated like disposable diapers and dirt. Did you catch what they're saying? They forgot. They forgot about the Red Sea. They forgot about God rescuing them. And this is you and I. These are our people. We have a history of forgetting the goodness of God. Because listen, we have a God that owes us nothing. What does he owe us? He owes us nothing. We created this mess. We chose our own way rather than God's. And he would have been just to let us rot in hell forever. But he doesn't. Because of his love, he pours out his goodness on all of us extravagantly. But we far too often end up acting like children in a checkout line, checkout line who doesn't get their candy bar and throws a fit despite the fact that mama just made cookies the other day without cause. We are far too short-sighted and temporal. We forget what the Lord has done for us in our lives. Do you not know that our God has moved heaven and earth to get to you. He has moved heaven and earth to get to you, and he is good, not sometimes, all the time. And he is worthy to be praised. And this is how our psalmist David ends this passage. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
He bookends his psalm with praises to our king. He bookends it, and he invites us to join with him. And so today, it is an invitation from God to you to praise him. It is an invitation from God to you to praise him despite what's going on in your life, despite how 2017 played out, for you to fix your eyes on our creator and praise him. Well, how cool would it be if, if we, as a family of God, we spoke praises to our king and, and we, we did what this psalm did. We bookended our days with praises to the king. What if we woke up in the morning and the first thing that we did was, God, I'm going to praise you for these five things. God, thank you for this. Thank you. Ten things, whatever it is. What if, what if you started your day with a chorus of hallelujahs to the king? And what if at the end of the night you came back in that very bed right before you put your pillow, your head on the pillow, and you looked at your day and said, God, thank you for that. As small as it was. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. I'm telling you guys, praising our king, gratitude to the Father, puts us into another reality where we have a better chance to live in the fullness, in the freedom that Christ has given to us. So how cool would it be as a family if we just, here in Bluffton, we had a chorus of hallelujahs together, morning and night together. And so I invite you to join me. Consider that a challenge in your life, to find ways to be grateful morning and day. Echo this psalm, book in your days with praises to our King. And so to end our time today, I want just to read um, the chorus out of one of my favorite psalms, a song or a hymn, a hymn that was written in 1922 by a lady named Helen Lamel. It's a hymn called Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And, and these are the words that they say. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? In the light of his glory and grace. And so friends, I, I know it, things are tough. But fix your eyes on the king. He is worthy to be praised. He is the only thing that moves us away from our mess. He's the only thing that brings fullness into our life. And as we sing and praise and give gratitude to the Father, it melts away the unrest and the anxiety in our lives. But we first have to fix our eyes upon him and praise him as difficult as it may be. So join us in 2018 and exclaim praises to our King. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just thank you for your word and how awesome it is. Lord, you have given us all that we need through your spirit, through your word, to move towards you, to live an abundant life on earth. Lord, help us to be appreciative of who you are. Help us to show great gratitude and remember the goodness in our lives that you have given to us. Remember the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Help us to remove ourselves from our short-sightedness and our temporalness, to get out of our own little realities and turn our eyes and put them on you, Lord, and praise you as our great king who restores the blind, created the oceans and the seas, brings justice to the oppressed, feeds those who are hungry. God, let us call out your name and praises day and night. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your Son, Jesus' 
amazing name.